Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Super excited that you tuned in again. Today, I have an awesome guest. His name is David Brown. He's the CEO at Vox Telehealth. David leads their their mission with the clear vision of what patients need and what physicians and healthcare providers want in order to drive compliance and improve outcomes. You guys are listening to this because you want to improve outcomes. You want to drive compliance. He brings more than 20 years of entrepreneurial experience spanning several industries, including behavioral healthcare, technology, banking, and retail. Prior to founding Vox Health, uh, David spent 10 years overseeing patient engagement for a multi-state behavioral health practice and understands the importance of connectivity and programs that engage patients in a meaningful and effective way. Through David's leadership, Vox has become an emerging leader in the growing field of patient-centered care programs. And it's such a pleasure to have David here to share his thoughts of the healthcare industry and the awesome things they have going on at Vox. So David, what a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a lot, Saul. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. And so, you know, before we get kicked off on the meat and potatoes or veggie and potatoes, whatever you want, <laughs> of the uh, of the interview today. Um, I'm from why, Texas. Definitely so, meat some meat and potatoes. potatoes. <laughs> uh, what is it that got you into the healthcare sector? Well, Saul, so that's uh, ultimately about a, a four beverage of your choice story, but uh, <laughs> we, I'll give you the, the half beverage of your choice version. You know, what was, I had come out of business and finance and, and um, what was supposed to be about two years spent in behavioral health, you know, partly from a business perspective, partly as a service perspective, ultimately turned into um, about 12. You know, it was really one of those situations where once I'd gotten a peek behind the curtain of, of all that was going on in that industry, I, I on one hand, could not pretend like I had not seen what I had seen. So decided to take um, a couple of years to prove out a couple of hypotheses on the on the clinical side. And as I said, that led to a number of, of uh, additional years of being engaged on the, the clinical side. So in year seven, then, you know, we, we became a last-ditch effort for patients to avoid 90-day treatment for addiction or intense behavioral health issues. And that seems like a strange thing to want to do, help people that are obviously in need avoid potentially something that they need um, on, in, in terms of the inpatient care. But when you realize that long-term success rates are oftentimes just 20 to 25%, and the average patient that goes once can go to three to, you know, three to four times into three to four different treatment centers, mm-hmm. you begin to see the layers of inefficiency upon the layers of inefficiency. And so, so Vox actually began in the behavioral health space in 09 to help patients as sort of a light technology backend, scheduled calls, points of contact for early intervention to help patients avoid. And very successful in, in what we were doing. I mean, not, not because there was any real rocket science behind it, but simply because it was just common sense support and accountability that needed to be there if you were going to have a chance to avoid. So we ultimately, with that success, began to consider a more scalable platform 
uh, began to consider a, a more expansive business model, which would include helping patients who had gone to 90-day treatment improve that long-term success rate. And I would say that's when some of the naive scales began to be pulled back from my eyes when I began to realize that, you know, in this country, at least at that time, you know, most arenas in which you have a recovery and reintegration model, uh, there are a number of of inefficiencies as well as some some conflicts of interest that exist. So, you know, not to say that that was true of all treatment centers, but you could you began to realize that um, there wasn't a, a ton of motivation to see that relapse rate change within the fee-for-service model. So, was, as you know, October of 2012, when the first fines went out for high rates of readmissions uh, for hospitals, and we made a full pivot in 2013, just recognizing that as, as long as there's an economic driver there that mm-hmm. is aligned with getting patients home and keeping patients home, that's where we needed to be. So that's, again, a really long story made only long, but uh, it's how we ultimately entered into the medical field. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, and it, you know, very smart of you to align. You know, one of the mistakes that happens often is is, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, companies see the writing on the wall, but refuse to figure out a way. And so kudos to you and your team for seeing that and, and reacting in such a way that you changed your model uh, to, to make it work. Give us an example of what you guys are doing, David, uh, to make things better, improve outcomes uh, by doing things differently. Yeah, you know, again, what what has really helped us all is the fact that we didn't come out of a technology background. You know, we have an absolutely remarkable technology team, but I'm one of these. I certainly appreciate the conveniences. I appreciate technology, but I carry a leather calendar, and I will always probably carry a leather calendar. It's coming out of behavioral. We understood something about folks that that maybe someone coming from a technology background does not, and so from the beginning. We, we took you know, all of our successes, all of our failures, all that we had learned from behavioral, applied it towards our platform. And at the end of the day, from it being a closed loop environment to it being a universal platform, we really built the thing to ultimately drive accountability. Um, so if you were to see our platform, you'd think, man, that is a deeply, you know, very deeply educates and empowers uh, the patient and the caregiver. It, it very much drives them towards ownership and, and all of those things. But at the end of the day, Saul, the, the real means by which we create the impact that we do is the back end. And it's the accountability that we drive through our alert escalation mm-hmm. notification system. So we, we educate them and empower them deeply so that we can hold them accountable deeply. And it seems a little oppressive, but what we've felt we've known from the beginning and have proven that it's really the most concierge thing that you can do. Otherwise, you know, what we've, what we've been competing against and what we're now actually replacing in the, in the marketplace are open-ended, you know, apps, you know, just Mm -hmm. apps that assume that the common consumer, the common patient is, is going to be so excited about having access to this information that they're not only going to use it, but they're going to persist in the use of it until any impact is made. So we instead came at it understanding that's just not true, that at the end of the day, if you're, if a platform for managing patients is open-ended and is therefore best characterized as a free resource available to them, that the only folks that are going to really persist in the use of it are the same 
7% of folks that are going to laminate their discharge plans and probably have outstanding outcomes, you know, with or without you. Regardless. So at the end of the day, Saul, we've really just been really trying to drive that ownership, drive appropriate responsibility back to the patient and the caregiver, feeling that we could really move the needle. There's The needle needs to be moved in, in certain areas. We knew we could move it, at least in that. I think that's I think that's really interesting, David. And so, just just for clarification's sake, what what patient populations are are you focused on? Yeah, we really have originated in episodes of care and have ultimately stayed there. We've um, found some very exciting partners like Vivify Health, that whose core competency is around risk stratified uh, population health. But we have really stayed focused towards defined episodes and and want to drive our leadership in perioperative medicine. So you see this evolution now even happening in, in perioperative where, you know, it's all about pre-op patient optimization. Mm-hmm. So we were one of the early organizations that just said, look, yeah, because again, in 2013 and 2014, right, all the print, all the focus was on those 30-day readmissions. So you had a number of organizations that were grabbing hold of the hand of the patient at the time of discharge. It was all hands on deck and we're going to keep them out of the hospital for 30 days. Well, I don't know. That's a little upsetting in terms of is it really impacting? Because do you really care what happens at day 31? But from our perspective, it was, you know, you've just missed the biggest opportunity for truly impacting that patient's experience, for impacting their their outcomes. And that is you got to grab hold of them beforehand. You got to you're going to manage their expectations. You're going to make them very responsible and, and have ownership in that episode of care. And we just felt like that was where if we were ever forced to choose a 30-day period in which to engage patients to most impact 30-day plus discharge, you know, uh, post-discharge readmissions and other outcomes, it'd be 30 days pre-op every time. And so we've had a lot of exciting alignment with with Dr. Saul Aronson and some of the leadership at, at Duke who've been real leaders in pushing the enhanced recovery after surgery uh, protocols as well as this, this pre-op patient optimization. And that's, that's really where we're going to continue to hang our hat is, is in that perioperative medicine space. Well, I think it's really cool. And, and, you know, one of the things that I believe uh, turns heads and, and creates attention is, is an approach that is different, you know, an outstanding approach. And, and what you've done is said, Hey, you know what, why don't we turn this upside down people? And rather than look at the last 30, let's look at the first 30. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking. And I think that's really cool what you've done. A nice, uh, a nice way to, to, to sort of uh, approach it, but also a way that really makes a lot of sense. Prime the, the people going through the procedures uh, to, to really the expectations, educate, empower them, as you called it, deeply. To, to, to make this impact. I'd love to hear as, as you were on the road to developing this, maybe a setback that you had and what you learned from it. Well, yeah, we, we would need it. We should probably set up a, a whole nother chunk of time to, <laughs> to talk about all <laughs> of that. Four drinks you know, for the, uh, like why this would probably exactly, be Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's all that on one hand, the nice thing is that you know, this is all qu- still quite fluid, right? I mean, I probably don't even know my biggest mistake yet, you know, because it's all sort of still yeah. playing itself out. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, I'd say our biggest decisions that have certainly at times seemed like mistakes 
in some ways are playing themselves out to have really saved the day for us and to have really helped to set us apart. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. so for example, you know, coming from behavioral and, and coming from one sort of missional orientation to the next missional orientation, which isn't always real healthy uh, for your sleep or for your bank account or anything else, we were still utterly committed, you know, to making sure that we did not enter the market until our platform could really do what we said it could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we certainly wanted to have it a lot of in- integrity in that, but along the way, you you pay the price and wonder if you've made uh, the right decision by right. by playing, going into the market. Ultimately, that really has saved us, one, because our platform does do the things that we say it will do. And so it has had the integrity once it was deployed. And as I mentioned, we've now begun to actually unseat existing platforms and in hospitals. The other thing that it helped us do is was that some of those, you know, some of the competing organizations that had some early successes selling directly into the hospital and and maybe got some premature funding and then premature staffed and, and stayed focused on that direct to hospital sales model. That's where the real struggle became, right? Because the procurement still wasn't there. The industry has had still not been fully birthed. So that mm-hmm. premature funding ultimately, you know, can can be the, the death of, of an organization at least as much as it can bring life to it. So, you know, that's one one of those decisions. We also had a decision to you know, to partner fairly on. We had built out the program and and had done the pilot, had gotten some outstanding outcomes. And so as every entrepreneur hopes to do, then you, you look to do that strategic partnership and you fund and scale and go. And maybe we did not listen to our intuition quite enough as we were getting into this partnership. And um, I would say the, the folks that make up the organization today are fantastic folks. The folks that were part of it at that time were not necessarily as outstanding. And so mm-hmm. we, I would just say there's a good deal of, uh, of scar tissue having navigated this industry and, and watched it finally be born. And um, I would say we're, we've never been more excited about where we are today and where the industry is uh, than we are today. And and so really appreciate the the, the candor there, uh, David. And and what would you say the most say proud moment you've had to date? Well, again, almost it's it's <laughs> it's it's that first decision to have delayed going into market, you know. Yeah. And and secondarily, uh, the second one would almost be what we did to navigate out of uh, that that situation with the partnership. And and what's interesting is is the fallout of that partnership, you know, it, it's amazing, Saul, because what, what happened, there was, there was a period of time where we were potentially at risk uh, of their less than altruistic motives. And so that's part of what folk made us move entirely away from a direct-to-hospital sales model, because in my mind, I thought, well, if they are successful in getting any of our stuff, then as long as we're just talking to hospitals and trying to get more contracts, we will have just been working for them. So instead, I'm going to focus on partnerships that they can't take and and that, you know, once we've navigated our way from them, will allow us to scale more quickly, catch up where we would have been and surpass where we would have been. It took that, Saul, to, to then finally get the perspective of, wow, that direct to hospital sales model is sadistic you know i mean to be honest i mean it's it's not efficient <laughs> and and so we ultimately have created some really remarkable partnerships and and very scalable 
distribution models that that have put us in a, a completely different place and that ultimately have attracted other great partnerships and, and friends in the market to to further facilitate. That's pretty cool. And and like you said, it's a kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's pretty cool. And and uh, love love that it's worked out for you and it continues to work out. What would you say today is one of the most exciting things or projects you guys are working on at Vox today is? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, two things. And again, it is it is that finally this pre-op patient optimization has has in some ways, in the same way that the value-based was, was slow to give to be birthed simply because you had an industry that, that wasn't quick to, to jump to it in the same way that pre-op patient optimization is finally having its day. You know, again, I referred to Saul Aronson earlier that one of the great things he loves to say is there's never been a trend in aviation where pilots landed planes before the wheels were down. But in healthcare, <laughs> uh, that has represented a whole lot of procedures that have taken place. And without the risk-based mandates that are upon us today would would continue to do so. But now you have to be focused on on the optimization of the patient. You've got to be focused on is that patient even an appropriate candidate? And if they are an appropriate candidate, are they in a in an optimal state to undergo that procedure on that date? And if they're not, are we as an organization, am I as a physician, are we as you know a clinical body willing to postpone that? For the greater good of that patient, and and now for the greater good of of the economics that are behind it. So we're extremely mm-hmm. excited about that piece of it. We're also extremely excited because we, you know, along with building out partnerships that to ultimately create kind of a universal platform that include Vivify, that include Patient Point. We also have been really focused then on building out what we refer to as a risk sharing ecosystem. So from our perspective, the next phase is to ultimately recognize that, hey, the impact that we're making in these patient patient outcomes, certainly we help the hospital, certainly we help the payer. You know who else we help? We help MedMal. So for example, what we're doing in terms of, of tracking patient engagement, obviously standardizing all you know, consents and all that they're doing, we make a, a, a very significant impact on claims and exposure to claims. It's, I mean, again, here's this remarkable thing that you don't come to until you, until you do. And that's 41.7% of all MedMal claims are not tied specifically to clinical negligence, but are actually tied to information and communication. So mm. there's been a complication, but you know, now you're going to have a, a patient say, hey, well, we were never informed or informed in a manner that we could understand of these risks had we been we possibly would have made a different decision, which you probably would not have, but but there's a complication. Now you're upset, and this is the basis of your claim. So, so we're basically saying, hey, there's lots of different things. There's lots of overlapping benefits to other you know, pieces of this grand puzzle. Let's bring them all together. So we've really tried to be a real convener and be one-stop shopping so that we can sort of say to that practice, to that hospital, you know, you've got a med mount carrier here who's willing to partially sponsor the program. You've got a payer who's willing to enhance your risk-based contracts as a result of, of bringing us in. And, 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 and we've got this you know, affiliation with Duke that'll come and provide a, a pre-op patient optimization assessment of your capabilities and, and continue to engage with you as, as needed. So it's, 
it's just it's been an exciting time to be a convener of of all as i said all these pieces that ultimately make up you know a pretty fine puzzle if we can you know, connect all the dots and bring all the pieces together david i think it's uh very exciting and Gosh, I mean, like you said, right, the planes never land or try to land with the wheels not down. We we don't begin a year, at least, you know, businesses don't begin a year without the planning process. Why would you do that in the right. operating room? It just like, right. come on, people. Makes sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but but it's like we've done we've done something for so long that we don't actually think about it. And right. so it's it's uh, it's great that you guys are working to to make things easier by applying these concepts and 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 processes to to help them succeed in the OR. So super thrilling. As a patient, I would like that, and I know any everybody I know would. So why not? Um, yeah. David, love that. Kudos to you and your team. Getting close to the end here of the interview. Let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of medicine today. It's the 101 of David Brown. And so I've got five questions for you, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? I think so. All right. I'll Here we go. My- You're going to do great. <laughs> um, what's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Yeah, first I would just say uh first you got to decide, you know, as, as you said, healthcare is a business, you got to decide is it going to be better care or better business or are you going to really stick to a conviction that in fact better care is better business. So, first you got to get gain that conviction and then from there I would say it's for us it's really about getting back to driving that patient responsibility and ownership in their care and in their health. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I would say getting head down, you know, I mean, it's particularly in this evolving landscape, boy, if you don't keep your head up, you're going to miss something. And so it's, uh, I would say really, you don't want to get your head down and get, get stuck in a, in a trench or a particular model that, um, that you think worked yesterday or even works today because it may not be where you find success tomorrow. It's a great metaphor. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? Well, I would say, uh, adding to the last answer, I would say, again, just keeping your head up mm-hmm. and and continuing to look down the road, right? I mean, we, we tried to, as I said earlier, be focused on building that universal platform, but in building the risk-sharing ecosystem, we, we're trying to go ahead and build out where we think uh, things are going to head, so that's whole whole Wayne Gretzky metaphor of of trying to really play the game where we're considering where the puck is going to be, not not where it is right now. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization, Dave? It's, it probably sounds kind of trite, but um, I would I mean I would genuinely say passion. You know, I mean we're a bunch of people who, as I said, plenty of scar tissue, but it's just a really you know you get around us and you kind of just pull the string a little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all start talking too fast and we're all getting ahead of ourselves. We're just excited about cool. what we're doing and, and, and really driven by the conviction of, of what we know we, we can accomplish if we're, if we're allowed the opportunity. Love it. And what would you say your number one success habit is? 
gosh, particularly in this space, and I've never been faced or forced to uh, engage in this as much as I have in the healthcare, but it's just perseverance. You know, I, I always kind of think of, uh, you know, Jason Witten, the former tight end of the, the Cowboys, you know, here's a guy with, mm-hmm. with over 10,000 yards in, in, uh, in receiving yards. And, and yet for me, you know, and I think for a lot of people, right, the defining 20 yards in this man's career was the 20 yards he was running without a helmet on. And so it's sort of, if, if you've got that conviction, uh, you know you're going to be faced with a, a lot of obstacles, even some bad folks along the way. And it's, what are you going to do in that Jason Witten moment? What are you going to do when, you're, when your helmet flies off? Yeah, You're going to run to the sidelines or keep on chugging. Love that. That, that perseverance is key. And uh, David, I definitely feel you there. It's a, it's a long road ahead, but those that stick with it do succeed. And so listeners, take that bit of wisdom from David. Do better care is better business. And definitely a great syllabus we've compiled for you here. Go to outcomesrocket.health. Type in Vox in the search bar. It's V-O-X. Or type in David Brown. You'll find it there, full transcript. And in a summary, Dave, this has been a blast, man. I've, I've had, a, had a great time uh, chatting with you about the things that you feel are important in healthcare. I think it's resonating with our listeners. Can you share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could uh, get in touch with or follow you and then we could uh, say goodbye? Yeah, well, I mean, I, my, really my closing thought is just a, one of, of appreciation to you and your own convictions and, and the time and effort you've spent to to really make a, a difference. And in the same way that we're trying to unify organizations that are like-minded and, and, and be a convener of that, you are obviously doing that on an individual basis. And so it's a, it's a rich resource and a, a fantastic exercise to get to spend this time with you. And obviously they can get a hold of us, you know, by way of Vox Telehealth. My email is david at Vox Telehealth. And uh, certainly our website is available to, to all. So. I really appreciate it, Saul. Hey, thanks again, David. True pleasure. Keep up the awesome work and uh, way to turn it around, man. This is a, this is a great uh, opportunity for uh, healthcare providers looking for a different way of doing things. Take David up, reach out to him, and uh, maybe today is the day that you do something new that really unlocks some value. So, David, again, thanks again for your thoughts. Absolutely. Take care, Saul. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.